0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Several times over our teaching, I've asked you to remember the context of the writer here who was uh, explaining things uh, to a congregation that he thought didn't quite fully grasp where they were um, in the sense that, uh, some had heard the gospel, uh, but had not really made a decision. Some were um, all in for Christ, but maybe still trying to figure out how that went along with their long tradition of um, Jewish faith and custom. Uh, but he was exhorting them to, uh, those, especially those people who were kind of on the fence, to get in the game. And so much of our story of Hebrews has been... Um, Back and forth between uh, explaining how much better Jesus is than the whole Jewish way of life, um, explaining where Jesus fit into this grand story of redemption that God had, uh, and then every so often uh, backing up and saying, "Now you guys really need to take this seriously and 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 make sure you know where you are with Christ and these." Um, Uh, areas of exhortation and then encouragement and then explanation going back and forth. So beginning several chapters back, we've had uh, a really in-depth discussion of how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant. And as Hebrews 9 was wrapping up, uh, we have this concept and we talked a lot about uh, the temple and the tabernacle and and how that arrangement of things was basically a, a representation of a true temple uh, in heaven um, looking toward an even better day we talked about how jesus is a better priest we've talked about how jesus was a better sacrifice and all those things were kind of wrapping up in those last verses of chapter 9 and in chapter 10 there's going to be a recap which we will maybe cover maybe half of that today and then next week is where there's that shift into the application and the encouragement to say all right now that I've now that I've explained this in such exhaustive detail Uh, What are you going to do about it? Are you going to take it seriously? Are you going to uh, make a decision as to where you stand? So, again, in our lead up, we'll start with, um, let's say, verse 23 of chapter 9. We'll just read it leading up. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. In other words, all these, the washings and the sacrifices and everything, it was uh, it, was a, it was appropriate to, to have this, uh, um, I guess, ritual is, is what it was um, for the lead-up. It says, verse 24, "...for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf." nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood not his own for he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world that's talking about Jesus but as it has as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and just as it as it is appointed for man once to die and after that comes judgment So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Verse 1, chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. There are going to be some summary statements which I think it'll start to sound familiar because the author has kind of covered this topic from every angle. Now he's summarizing. (coughs) We know that Jesus' statement, I did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill the law. Here we're talking about the law. It was just a shadow of the good things to come. When you look at a shadow... It looks a lot like whatever blocked the light to create the shadow. But it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. You can tell what something is. We were going to bed the other night, and the window was open a little bit, and the light from the street lamp was on the wall, and What was that shadow? Well, it was about eight deer in the yard. <laughs> but when you kind of look back, you knew, okay, I can kind of see it was just a shadow. Much better to have the shadow in the bedroom than the actual deer in the bedroom. <laughs> I've heard about deer crashing into places, but uh, that would not have been good. It's just a shadow. did not mean it was bad. It had some, it had some benefits from it. But it's just a shadow. Bear in mind, this is being taught to people who have been taught to be proud of the fact that they were the people that, was cho- that were chosen to receive the law. It was a huge blessing for them compared to all other peoples in the world. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones that were given the law. This was a great benefit. And now the writer's saying, you know, yeah, but that was just, that was just a shadow. It was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities and it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near it was the law that described what the arrangement was uh, what to do and when to do it and it was the law that ushered in and described those sacrifices and as he said before they were continually offered every year but even that could not make perfect those who draw near it could not perfect in the sense of being complete. It, you might think of the context of it spared them, in essence, from the punishment for their sin that they otherwise would have deserved. It maintained their relationship with God. But as we'll see, even God said it wasn't the sacrifice that was the most important It's always been about the heart from God's standpoint. But going into verse 2, it says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. In other words, if the law had been able to, through the sacrifices, make perfect and complete these people, then why do they have to keep doing it all the time? If it really worked, why do they have to keep doing it? Uh, One commentator gave a an analogy which I started to take offense at, but then I realized it was totally totally true. It said if you've if you've been given a bottle of medicine and you take it and you start to feel better, then you feel like, okay, I'm getting over this, but if you keep taking the medicine and you're not getting better, you really have to doubt the medicine. So these people were taking their medicine, so to speak, every Year, every opportunity that as described by the the law, but they weren't really getting better because they had to keep doing it. This having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins, in other words, this guilt you know the the one of the purposes of the law was to show just how different we are from God, how holy he is, and how unholy we are. So, this weight of guilt that they had uh, couldn't, you know, the, the sacrifices didn't do away with that. There's a contrast there coming because as Christians, we, we should be able to get away from that. Verse 3 But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. So, you couldn't forget that you're a sinner because over and over, what's happening? There's lots of things being killed on your behalf because of your sin. These sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I read somewhere that during Passover, back in the day, when all the population had gathered... During that one week there may have been as many as 300,000 livestock slaughtered. There were drainage canals that basically turned into rivers of blood. That's nasty. How graphic that is a description you know anyone coming And looking at those, I mean, imagine going to Panther Stadium for some big celebratory event and realizing it's actually a slaughterhouse on a massive scale. I'm not sure anybody can really think about that, but that's kind of what it was. So if you weren't impressed with the weight of your own guilt and sin. You just weren't paying attention. It was very clear, all of this is required because that's how bad your sin is. I mean, it's really bad. Verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Turn over to Psalm chapter 40, or Psalm 40. (coughs) Beginning in verse 6. What I just read is basically a quote from Psalm 40. And here, the author basically tells us that through the Psalms, Christ was saying this. 40 verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O God, your law is within my heart." This whole psalm, of course, a psalm of David, but yet through the mystery of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, these words get applied to Jesus. There's one interesting um, kind of translation. Uh, thing it's it was like a figure of speech in verse six in the psalm, my Bible says and sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear uh, and again we see this reference that you know it wasn't the sacrifices that really got god's heart and sacrifice and offering you've not de- delighted, but you've given me an open ear in Hebrews it says um, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired but a body you have prepared for me. So apparently the, the original language in, in Psalms says basically you've, you've dug out my ears and they say the phrasing was like a figure of speech that had to do with um, a submissive heart to receive whatever was going on. And I thought to myself, well, this body prepared for me, or you know, you've opened my ears, and this concept of submission, and I couldn't help but think about when people submit to me as I try to clean out their ears at the office. <coughs> it really takes a trusting soul to sit still. If you, I want to ask who's had their ears cleaned out. But to sit still, as some stranger or maybe person you're not sure you know quite that well, is is going into a very sensitive place with, you know, a, a sharp tool, and and it feels like they're doing a brain biopsy or something. <laughs> um, yes, submissive, open to what's going on. So when it says. The the quote, as Hebrews kind of extrapolates, sacrifices, offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In other words, a willing, submissive, open body. I drew a little ear next to that verse to remind me of that. Um, but you see the concept there, because that was Jesus' attitude in the garden. Verse 7 I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus knew that it really wasn't about, well, that the original sacrifices were not what God desired. And several places, you know, you know the verse, I think it's 1 Samuel. To obey is better than sacrifice. Throughout Scripture, there's a big passage in Isaiah. Um, I can find it. This is from Isaiah uh, chapter 1. what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you, and so forth. And he's basically saying, I want, I want your heart, right? I want your heart. Um, so this whole change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant it gets real personal it's not just through the priest anymore it gets very personal and jesus of course is the transition point there he says i've come to do your will O god and now the the author of hebrews starts to um, discuss the verse that he just quoted just like a preacher so in verse 8 he says when he said above you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings that these are offered according to the law then he added behold I've come to do your will here's his point he does away with the first in order to establish the second you can't live under the old covenant and the new covenant you can't you can't accept that I'm putting all my faith in Jesus and the work that he did as the way I'm now relating to God and still say, well, you know, just in case that wasn't enough, I think I'll still go do the sacrifice next Saturday. It doesn't make sense, right? One does away with the other. It says he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So this group that he's talking to, he's saying, y'all, you can't, you can't go back. There is no going back. This is the new covenant. In so much ways, it's better, as I've been telling you for the last, whatever. Verse 10, and by that will, that is the will of Jesus, where he says, I came to do your will, O God. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, you know, not my will, but thine. And by that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Chapter 9, we just read, verse 26. He has appeared once for all to bear the sins of many. Once for all. You guys probably know this, but our our catholic friends this is one of the areas where they where they have some heresy when they take what we call communion what they call the eucharist they believe that the wafer upon blessing of the priest becomes actual flesh of jesus and the wine becomes actual blood of christ and they are, at that moment, re-crucifying Christ for their sins. No. 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 He doesn't die every day, every Mass. No. But, if you're in the jewelry store, if you're Catholic, what do you buy? You buy a crucifix. Jesus is still on the cross. If you're a Christian you want to buy a cross okay but Jesus doesn't need to be on it right once for all once for all he's going to elaborate on this verse 11 every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So you have all of the contrast that he's been talking about this whole time. If you don't get anything else, get these three verses. The priest stands daily. He can't sit down. He's got work to do. He's not done. There is still work to do. He's going to have to do it again. What does it say? Christ, a single sacrifice. Priest, multiple sacrifices. Repeatedly, the sacrifice. The priest has to stand. Christ sits down. You're, he's done. I'm done. He's seated done. Verse 11, what the priest does, can't take away sins. A temporary covering to make things right between you and God for a time. But in contrast, verse 14, by a single offering, perfect For all time, those who are being sanctified, those who are holy. And this, apparently the Greek verbs uh, don't come across that well in English, but this, he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified, has to do with the fact that we have been made perfect, and that is continuing until now. We'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is a covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write down on their minds. He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So back to the Old Testament, this time to Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Psalms, then hang a right, past Isaiah to Jeremiah. If you get to Lamentations, you've gone too far. Easy to remember, you can write this next to your passage in, Hebrew, in Hebrews, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, by the way. Um, the by the way part's not there though I was their husband declares the Lord but this is the covenant that I will make with them with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them I will write it on their hearts as opposed to on their scrolls and so forth right i write it on their hearts I will be their God they will be my people no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I didn't have time to look it up. What in the world, I just have to wonder, what in the world does a Jew in 2018 do with Jeremiah 31? Do you just have to say it hasn't happened? happened yet is that the best you've got when you, you can look back and see what Jesus did and see the parallels and I, verse 15 is a quote beginning in verse 16 I guess is a quote of Jeremiah 31 the pastor there is teaching them so this was you know over 2,000 years ago for us when Hebrews or thereabouts when Hebrews was being written. And he's looking back, I don't know how many, six or seven hundred years at least probably, to when Jeremiah said, This is a covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. the question was put to them i don't know how much more clear it could have been because if he's asking these people who have been taught i guarantee you they knew jeremiah 31 31 or whatever however they notated it back then you know they knew those words so they had a choice you either you either believe that I mean there really is no choice. If you're gonna if you're gonna believe that what Jeremiah thirty one says that there will be a new covenant, and you just heard all this teaching about how much better the new covenant is and that new covenant time is now, how could they possibly hang on to the old covenant? When even Jeremiah said the old covenant is. Is, fl- is flawed. The old covenant can't do what it needs to do. You know, the whole point of telling them about a new covenant was to let them know that something better is coming. Verse 18, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words... This is the new covenant. This is the new way of dealing with your sin. It's through faith in Jesus. There is no longer a reason for the sacrifices. Those sacrifices don't make you good with God anymore. This is your only choice. So what is this... What does this mean for us? I mean, if we were a Jew back then, I would hope that we would have gotten it, so to speak. And I'm sure this message hit them in a very different way because of their tradition and their background and so forth, so we can only know in in just vague detail how much it would have hit them. But, in this passage, John MacArthur lists seven reasons why the old way wasn't as good as the new way. He says the new way reflects God's eternal will. We talked about that, that this was a culmination of of this redemptive plan that's been going on the whole time. It replaced the old system, it truly sanctifies the believer, it takes away sin as opposed to just covering it, it permanently destroys the enemies. It makes us perfect in God's eyes forever. And it really had to be this way because it was promised in Jeremiah. So it's a fulfillment of that promise. There are a lot of ways that we can go sideways if we don't hear what's here. He talks about the consciousness of our sins. Guilt for the believer in Christ still exists, right? We should have an awareness of our sin. And it should prompt us to confess and make it right and and to reestablish, you know, relationships if that needs to happen or whatever. But our sin has already been paid for. It's not fair. All to our benefit, it's not fair. It's not fair in the most wonderful of ways that the next time I sin, and I'm sure there will be a next time, It has already been paid. There is not a new sacrifice that I need to go do. I don't need to go light a candle somewhere to know that I'm still going to heaven. It has already been done. When it says, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ, that's what it means. Not that we don't feel bad. The Holy Spirit does convict us and wants to continue to make us more like Jesus. But we don't have to think that we're kicked out of the family. If, you, if, you're, if you're not sure this, about this concept, I mean, one of the other things, the implications of this, we can have assurance of our salvation. Because our salvation doesn't depend on our own modern day sacrifices. On our own that we have to do. Jesus did it. And where's Jesus? Done. Right? I'm still standing. Got a couple minutes. When I'm done, I'll sit down. He's done with that. So, Satan will lie to us and make us start to doubt the only faith we have to have is the faith that God gives us and that's the faith that gets us saved. right? And that not of ourselves, remember that part from Ephesians? So we don't have to maintain our salvation. It's done. What else? We can glorify God that we are part of his whole timeline. He was planning for us before the creation of the world this kind of will mess with your head a little bit, that he knew when he set up all the sacrificial system that it was not going to be good enough. It's It's hard to think about. But the Jews, in that day, they wanted to stay in the shadow of things to come. Why do people tend to do that? Because things that we're used to feel comfortable. We get comfortable. You ever get going down the interstate and you kind of get that nudge that maybe there's a potty break that needs to happen? and before long if you're lucky you see the rest area sign nobody pulls over at the sign that says rest area one mile ahead you don't stay there right that's in essence what the Jews were doing the whole law was designed to point you to what the true thing to come So when you see the rest area, don't pull over. Yet, you see the signs, rest area one mile. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for the real thing. And I think that's what Hebrews is telling these people. You're looking for the real thing, y'all. And it's here. Let the other go. And so for us, I think we get pulled into that works mentality a little bit. We think, you know, I need to clean up my act a little bit. I need to like, get back in my devotions because I'm not really feeding it from God right now. So I need, to, I need to work a little harder before I can feel good enough to maybe pray for some stuff. Am I the only one that plays those kind of mind games? <laughs> this abolishes that sort of thinking, right? That's just wrong thinking. You better quit. How much work is there left to do for us to get into heaven? No. How much extra can I do to make up for my sin that I'm going to do in the future? Nothing. All right. Final comments before we go. There really only have one thing sacrifice it and then he works with us the rest of our lives to make us more Christ-like and become more holy if we obey him. What she said. (laughs) We only have one thing to do. To accept what we've been offered. Everything else is us, yes, being worked on you know, are we are we um, What's the word? Are we legally holy right now? Yes. When God looks at me, he says, holy, holy. Looks at you, holy. Are we practically holy yet? No. Legally, we're holy. Practically, not yet. One day, we're going to be fully holy. Yeah, what she said. Larry. i bud, in there. I agree 100 thank God for his son Jesus But the spiritual warfare that exists day in and day out Satan can keep us from doing all that we can for the kingdom if we don't stay focused on trying to be Christ-like and be able to reach out and love and serve others and that, to me that's what's mm-hmm. beyond my salvation that's what's at stake day in and day out Absolutely. And for God to use me and all of us reach others we still have a life to live right as Paul talked to the Thessalonians they got this message so good they were just kicking back and they weren't doing anything because they were ready for heaven like next week he said y'all you know you can't do that yet yep that's, there's still work to be done but the way or one of the ways that Satan makes us ineffective for the present day is by making us think that we're not good enough yet and so that's a lie yeah all right let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you that we have been grafted into this amazing redemptive story and that you have settled it on our behalf you haven't finished with us in this world the holy spirit is still working on us Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing with us. We thank you for your inspiration through the word. And, Jesus, we thank you that through you we can be a part of this big plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.